Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, um, we are just, as we record this on Tuesday night, uh, less than 48 hours from like actually getting together, all three of us, along with a bunch of our friends. Uh, at the women's game on uh, on Thursday against Michigan, and I, for one, am really excited. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be really awesome. It's 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 reminding me of when we um we had an impromptu tailgate. Yes, for a, for a men's game back in like 2006, which was patently absurd. But um, it wasn't that cold out, and no, uh, it was, the parking it was, was free, nice, so. as I recall. Yeah, it worked out well, but um, but yeah, this is, this is going to be really great. I'm I'm coming up to Chicago for uh, managed to to set up a work trip that kind of coincided with this with this gig. So this is um yeah, this is going to be great. It's crazy to think you know we're headed into year ten of this pod, and in those ten years, the amount of times we've all been together in a non football capacity is <laughs> is. A pretty small amount of times. So Out, um, outside of weddings, I was uh, about to say, Sam, your wedding, <laughs> right? John, uh, your wedding, your wedding, my John. wedding, um, and you know, we were brainstorming this thing after Scuzz's wedding. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a pretty short amount of time, so it is going to be uh, a real blast. It, uh, yeah, we're absolutely stoked for it. And we got a bunch of a bunch of people coming together. I think we're up at around. 15 to 20 people, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood of, uh, you know, Northwestern fans, Twitter friends, uh, and, and more, uh, all getting together. So we're going to be, I think we're planning to sit behind the, uh, behind the home bench, at least you know, somewhere. But, uh, if, if you're at the game on Thursday, come by, say hi. We're not going to be hard to miss. Um, you know, I'll, we'll all be wearing Westlaw Pirates gear of some sort. But, uh, yeah, come say hey because, you know, we, you know, it, th- this team is so much fun this year. And, like, I've been really, really enjoying watching the ladies. And, sure, you know, they had, they ran into a buzzsaw at Maryland this past weekend. But before we, before we quite shift yeah. there, I'll just, I'll just one other thing about, about Thursday. So the beauty of, of, this game is, I guess it's general admission seating for the most part. So, um, yeah, swing by, say hi, come sit with us if you want. Um, we'll have a, a, a solid representation of former marching band members and other, other Northwestern, um, I don't know, Illuminati from, from, from like the, the annals of deep, desperate fandom for Northwestern. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anybody who joins us will be in really good company. I, I think, there, there'll, there'll probably be some sort of unofficial hangout slash meetup afterwards, um, somewhere, somewhere in the neighborhood uh, of the stadium to uh, to grab a pint, etc. So, uh, look for that information on on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. We'll uh, we'll make sure we get that out there so so people can. If, if you can't catch up with us during the game, um, certainly come hang out with us afterwards, grab a beer. Absolutely, and you know, kind of to what we were talking about before, like the. I don't know the idea that like this loss at Maryland has dulled the momentum um, is on one hand, it's like, yeah, we had won a ton of games in a row and we've only lost three games this season. And this loss was one of those three games. On the other hand, first of all, 
it, North since our last pod, Northwestern played two games. They went out to East Lansing and erased a Michigan State team <laughs> that came in with a winning record in conference. Michigan State has a winning record overall and was four and three in conference and hosted Northwestern and got pile driven. Uh, we won by twenty eight. That game was never close. Um, obliterated them. And then, I mean, the realistic way to look at, you know, you were talking about it right before the pod scuzz is, yeah, we lost by nine to Maryland. They put a big run together late. But we got the game out of Maryland that we did not get when they visited. And we got, instead of getting a game that, you know, we just dominated them at home, we got their very best game. And we were right there and leading for three quarters. And and then it came apart. And, I mean, you can look at it as we lost by nine. You can also look at it as this is a team so good that it goes on the road, gets the very best game out of the 20th ranked team in the country, and almost wins. And, and with that, uh, we only dropped one point in the poll. Right? So we went from 22 to 23, um, which, you know, we're finally getting getting the respect. You know, we're finally getting noticed and, you know, I saw ESPN bracketology had us as a four seed this week, which would be fantastic because that would, uh, have at least one, if not two home games, uh, for, for the cats in the NCAA tournament. So, um, definitely some, you know, big games coming up. Uh, obviously the Michigan game. Uh, but yeah, l- I mean, let, let's kind of dive into that Maryland game a, l- a little bit more. Um, you know, it's Pulliam had a great game. 20 points, five rebounds, uh, led all, led all scoring. Um, Burton had another great game, 14 points, five boards, four assists, two steals. Yeah. So this, this game was back and forth. It was a game, you know, John mentioned the, the, the big Maryland run that happened in the third quarter, but it was, it was a, it was a game of runs, right? Maryland, um, outplayed the cats, uh, to the tune of six points in the first quarter, but you know, got out, got out of the gate pretty quick. Northwestern stormed back in the second quarter to take a to take a, a, a small half halftime lead. Maryland storms back in the third, and then, you know, this this was probably the interesting takeaway that that I saw inside and you have is that, you know, <clears throat> Maryland played virtually perfect down the stretch, and they believe Maryland's roster is a roster that can exploit Northwestern. And, and exploit Northwestern's weaknesses in, in many, many ways. They've got a strong front court. They're really good sh- shooting the three-pointer. Um, I think w- Watson in particular was just drilling. Uh, she was three of six from three-point, but the, the timing of her three-pointers was was really was really damaging to Northwestern. Like in those moments where the Cats would pull it within uh, two scores, and then Watson would come down and just bury a hammer to to, to extend that that back to a three three-score lead, et cetera. Um, where I'm going with this is especially in the way that, that the cats have, um, put other teams away and that, that Michigan game, that Michigan state game is a great example. The cats had 19 steals in that game against Michigan state. They only gave up six on their own and against Maryland, Maryland outdid the cats, uh, 10 steals to eight. Uh, Maryland turned the ball over only 14 times to Northwestern 16. They really neutralized, you know, what has been a major advantage for the cats. And then the two teams shot pretty evenly and uh, rebounded 
I mean, evenly on the defensive side, not on the offensive side. That's the other spot that Maryland kind of took advantage was was offensive rebounding was was almost four to one. Yeah, eighteen offensive rebounds for Maryland to five for Northwestern. Um, you know, Maryland with twenty two second chance points uh, to Northwestern's three. So that yeah that that's that's really I think you know because the rest of the game, like you said. Very, very similar shooting. Like we actually outshot them as far as percentage wise. Um, except from the stripe. Except for the stripe, sure. Mm. Yeah, stripe was a little rough, but, uh, the second chance points. I mean, that, that they were getting offensive rebounds and putting them back. That was, that's the difference. Yeah. And I think, I think I strayed from my point earlier, just that like the inside in you was making and that, that seemed to be, to be the case too. Like the cats played really well down the stretch and Maryland just played perfect and, and, the cats couldn't catch up with them, and when 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 you when you match up with a team that does have some athletic superiority, some talent superiority, and they and they get that kind of a game, it's going to be pretty hard to beat them on their home floor. But this this should definitely be viewed, I think, to to the point you were making earlier, John, as you know, not this is not a st- a setback for Northwestern. This was a good a, a good showing that just didn't go our way, for sure. And I think you know there are a couple things where, like you said, Maryland's very best game. The margins are really slim here. I mean, we've seen Pulliam and Burton combined in many games shoot 90% free throws. And we shot 56% free throws in this game. And they were basically the only ones who were shooting free throws. It's not to say they had a horrible game shooting free throws, just not as good as they normally do. If they had knocked down all their free throws combined, that shaves it down from like a nine-point deficit to a four-point deficit. It's it's little things. Like you said, it's like little margins, little things that make the difference. The one thing I'll say to credit Maryland, um, aside from, you know, that balls were dropping for them, that again, like you said, um, we outshot them. This offensive performance is still way better than the horrific offensive performance of their their last time they played against us. But defensively, one thing Maryland did do well is – We've talked about for a couple of weeks that, you know, kind of quietly and then not so quietly, one of the big shifts this season is that it hasn't been a Lindsey Pulliam driven show, right? And that Wolf and Scheid, the Abbeys, have carried this team on multiple games offensively. And I think you can look and you can see Maryland's, you know, idea was, look, we Maryland has studied tape this season, right? And they know that... Pulliam and Burton will be volume shooters if you allow them to be volume shooters. And I think they probably made a conscious decision to just play the odds. They know that Pulliam has had a couple of games where she's put up big volume, bad stat nights. And they know that there's a chance you allow her to do that. You might get, you know, she might put up 40 for all you know, if you're going to give her this many shots, but she also might miss a bunch of shots. But you can look at the line and see Wolf and Scheid, just the attempts, the two had 11 field goal attempts combined. Scheid in particular, this is someone who was, was putting up 20-point games left and right, you know, a week ago. So the I think you give credit to Maryland for really making that effort to do something that was so much easier for teams to do last season and is so much harder to do this season, which is take the Abbeys out of the game and put it all on Pulliam. But again, to the points we've been making, it's not like that's a guarantee of success. You might get a bad Lindsey Pulliam night. You also might get a awesome night from one of the very best players in the conference, and you just end up looking like a fool. So it took 
some risky but strategy that paid off for Maryland. It also took them shooting the lights out, and we were still right in this game. What was really cool is like just looking at the schedule the rest of the way, at least in the regular season. And you know, there we've gotten through the tough part of the schedule. That, that game at Maryland was probably the hardest game we have left. Um, you know, we have two games against Michigan coming up. They're in the middle of the pack in the Big Big Ten. We've got uh, Penn State, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, they are the bottom three in in the conference. Um, you got Michigan State coming up again, who, like you said, we completely obliterated uh, this past week. And then we got a game against Ohio State, also you know, kind of bottom half of the conference. So, um, you know, the the tough the well, the games we have left against above average teams in the conference. We got Rutgers and Nebraska. Um, both games at home. So, you know, that, that's, that definitely is, is another kind of thing in our favor. You know, we're not going to Piscataway. We're not going to Lincoln. Um, you know, so having the two hardest remaining games, at least on paper at home is great. I mean, there's a legit chance that they run the table here, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, maybe they drop, probably they drop something at some point, but they're, they're better than all these other teams and it's not close with a lot of them. So I don't know. I mean, the, 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 I think we said this last year at one point, um, maybe it was once we were in the tournament or in the, in the NIT and it was just kind of like, Hey, it's gravy. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy this ride. We've got what? Nine games remaining. Um, a lot of opportunity to watch this team, to see this team perform, and uh, and enjoy what we got here, and watch them go into postseason play. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it'll be on a nine-game winning streak. Yeah, there's three of those nine games right now are on Big Ten Network. So if you, if you can't make it out to the stadium, um, you got the Michigan State game on February 10th on BTN. Uh, you've got uh, the at Ohio State game on February 25th on BTN, and then Saturday the 29th of February. Uh, against Illinois Senior Day uh, on Big Ten Network, plus you know the uh, Big Ten tournament as well. But you know a third of the games are on are actually on TV. Um, everything else will is on Big Ten Network Plus, which you know if you are a subscriber to, what be watching because you know these, these this team is really really good. And there's a couple games that have not been announced. Um, what they if they're going to be on uh, Big Ten Network or on the, on the streaming system. I I just want to add one more thing about that I kind of am enjoying about the just the kind of soap opera week to week of this thing and being at the top. Usually, you know, this takes me back to last season with Northwestern and the Big Ten West. We're on a week to week. You're like really looking be like, okay, who's playing who this week? Who's doing what this week? What are we doing? What are the implications? Right? I think of all of us, as Sammy. I know you were there. Um, I can't. I don't think Scuzz was there, but I remember all of us sitting in and watching combination, like checking on our phones in the broadcast of that Purdue game, uh-huh. waiting to see if Purdue would lo- lose that game in the tailgate prior to the start of our game because we were thinking, all right, what are the direct ramifications on <laughs> where we stand in the West based on the finish of this game? Well, not the it's Notre really... Dame game. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That was the all right. Oh, was it the Notre it, Dame? I think no, it was, it was. the no, Notre Dame game. It, we were... You're absolutely right. It was the tailgate before the Notre Dame game. It was like Purdue, game, Iowa. 
Right, and even in a week where we were not playing a conference game, there was such significance for things that were going to happen that were affecting Northwestern. And the point is, like, that's what it's like week to week when you're really in the conference race for something. And I've really, it's really been fascinating and cool to watch the top of this conference take shape. And it's really well defined at this point. Iowa's clearly the best team. They're only one game ahead of the conference race of the second place, which includes Northwestern. Um, but Iowa has an inexplicable loss, but aside from that is taking all comers. And the rest of the way, they have to go to Maryland, but the rest of the way, their road looks pretty nice. And Mar- then they North- have to go to Maryland, and they have to go to Rutgers. They have to go to Rutgers. Um, but then second place, you have Northwestern and Maryland, who are both 7-2 and two and have split with each other, um, home and home. And then third place, Indiana, whose three losses in three consecutive games are Iowa, Northwestern, and Maryland. So it's like, there's your conference, and those are the four ranked teams in the conference right now. So, you know, you at once you have a feel of kind of the pecking order of the conference. It seems pretty well defined. And also you're looking and you're saying, all right, to Scuzz's point, can Northwestern win nine in a row? Can Iowa lose that game against Maryland? Can they lose that game against Rutgers? That would open the window for a regular season championship can, for the Cats. Can Indiana knock off Maryland when they host them in uh, in a couple weeks here? Or, or or when they travel? They Yeah, yeah, when Indiana hosts Maryland, right? Like like the the path is there and Northwestern doesn't need much help. Right, and these it's just so cool. Like These are the kind of things that when you have a team that is awesome, you actually get to pay attention to these other games and care, and care about these random matchups, right, of who's going to win and, and what's the effect on Northwestern. It's just fun. It's it's great. Um, and it's the kind of thing that it's it's we get to enjoy that, and we get to enjoy what the awesome atmosphere Thursday night is going to be. Yeah. Once again, you know, I, I get to keep harping on it. I'm so excited uh, to a be able to hang out with you guys. Um, if if only this was happening, you know, if this uh, city council meeting had gone as you know, we, we'd hope. Um, you guys saw like the this uh, petition to the city council to allow alcohol sales at Welsh Ryan Arena. Boy, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, didn't didn't the didn't they didn't the vote pass to apply for a permit? Yeah, I mean, like, there's still red tape. I, I didn't see. Exactly, oh yeah, there's like there's, there's lots of red ton tape. Ton of red there. tape, but uh, let's, let's get that going, guys, because you know I just we could. I mean, we could have the Francis Willard kiosk in <laughs> Welsh Ryan Arena, maybe with her picture right there. Maybe you know they could dress as Francis Willard while they serve alcohol. <laughs> Being, Come on, the I mean, possibilities are endless here. In in all seriousness, like on 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 the on the scale of like for those who are attending Northwestern today and don't have the the history, like prohibition effectively started in Evanston <laughs> and didn't end in Evanston until the seventies. Yeah. And, and then the spirit lives on. The spirit, well, yeah. it lived on. I think. I think it's effectively. I mean, now there's you know, an, a, any number of bars and establishments that serve alcohol. It's. I mean, other than the liquor stores, which are city controlled, which is not that dissimilar from a lot of other places. Um, it's like you've even got breweries and a whiskey distillery in Evanston now, yeah. right? Like, like it's it's come four, so far. Four breweries and a distillery. All grown up, and you're all grown up. Um, but this would be 
I mean, this would be a big step forward. And I think, you know, the immediate knee jerk reaction of, of some folks who are, um, who have been around college athletics for a long time is, is, you know, a, a complete anathema with the idea of alcohol being served at games. I, I, one of the things I want to point out, um, the university of Minnesota petitioned the big 10, maybe five or seven years ago, early on, they were like early. Yeah. And, and this was after some, some really horrific incidents that happened at their stadium, but they petitioned the big 10 to say, Hey, can we please study what happens when we serve alcohol in the stadium? Cause we think it might have, it might make a difference on binge drinking and it might reduce some of the tailgate insanity and it might reduce some of the problems we're having with alcohol. And they were spot on and arrests and other incidents related to um, intoxication and drunkenness have, have decreased dramatically at Minnesota. Um, a lot of other schools have started uh, going in this direction as well. That the basic, the premise is if you're selling beer in the game, people don't need to, you know, consume vast, vast quantities beforehand to, so that they're, you know, they can keep their buzz on throughout. Right. Um, it's a little counterintuitive, especially when you look at the NFL, which sells beer and they have, there's plenty of problems, you know, you, you hear about Philly and, and Cincinnati's a, a place like don't take your kids to the game there, there necessarily, unless you're in certain sections. Anyways, I, I like I'm rambling here at this stage, but the point is like, this could be a really beneficial thing for Northwestern. And you might think that it's got a lot of negative ramifications. Now basketball is different from football, right? In terms of length of game and there's not a big tailgating scene, et cetera, but this doesn't necessarily have the problems and the stigma that come with, um, that I think some of the knee jerk reactions to this sort of proposal might have. And yet there's still quite a bit, especially in Evanston of get off my lawn. Yeah. So again, it, it, right. And it's the kind of thing where even in the NFL, I mean, you're absolutely right, but this, the seeds of all of those problems are sown in the parking lot, <laughs> regardless of how much beer is being bought in the stadium, right? Like basketball there, there's really, it's a no lose situation, but Whatever, I mean, it's like, chances are, there's a good chance if you're listening to this pod, uh, you actually went to Northwestern, not all of you, but a lot of you actually went to Northwestern and are well aware of the ongoing love affair between the city of Evanston and Northwestern University, so uh, it's just, it's, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, Let's let's talk about the, the men's team, um, you know, the... the Obviously had had the game on Sunday against Ohio State did not uh, go well at least down, down the stretch. Um, you know it was it was back and forth for for a lot of it, and then you know Ohio State kind of ran away with it uh, late. Yet another instance of kind of a, a late fade uh, for these guys. Yeah, I mean short bench. You again, you've got kind of one. One and a half healthy guards. Boo Booey looked a bit better in this game, but but still didn't have great great shooting percentage. And it's just it's just more of this. I mean, the cats are just outgunned, and they you know they're 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 keeping things. I mean, I think what they had they they relinquished the lead um, after a little bit of back and forth around like with with maybe thirteen minutes to go, fourteen minutes to go in the second half. So, and then Ohio State, you know jumped up and then really kind of ran away with it in the last, uh, in the last five minutes. And you just, I mean, the cats played eight players, right. Um, and, uh, three of those guys played less than 10 minutes. So they really played six players. 
and these guys these guys are just outgunned right now and that's that's the unfortunate reality right and i think there's mainly i mean uh, first of all we don't want to talk about the nuts and the bolts of the game on this too much because just like scuzz said the character of this loss was so in line with the character of previous Northwestern losses. Yeah. Not just not just in terms of the bad. V- in terms variations of the, on a theme. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And not just in terms of the bad, in terms of the good, too. Miller Cop scored 20 points in this game and shot the lights out. He's been an excellent offensive player. Pat Spencer had a good shooting night. Um, and in classic, like, athletic Pat Spencer form, put up a 13-5-4. Like, he's... Um, and, and, you know, five turnovers also for Spencer. But the point is, there is individual excellence on the floor getting things done. And there's not an overall cohesion to the offense. And eventually, the other team figures out a way to make the offense go away for us. And then they pull away. And it's what you see. It's the reason Northwestern lost by 12 to a mediocre conference opponent. And it's also the reason why Northwestern was right in the game headed into the second half. Um, this team just, again, is like a high effort, high motor team with individual excellence, um, chiefly Miller Cop, but on a given night could be Cop, could be Spencer. Um, and that is just right, like Scott says, undermanned, undergunned, out of, you know, not enough guys at a key position and not a cohesion on offense, and eventually they run out of fuel. Um, the one positive thing I'll say about the game um, is, and Scuzz briefly touched on it, is it's the kind of game you want to see out of Boo Booey on his way back. You know, 25 minutes and a high-volume night. He bricked a ton of shots, but it's good. Good. Take the shots. It's just exactly the kind of thing we wish Ryan Young was getting. Um, it's kind of sad when Ryan Young puts up eight, uh, eight points on seven field goals, and we're like, hey, that's not bad. Um I'd rather I want to see a three of twelve night out of Ryan Young. Um, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're working Bowie back into the offense and giving him a lot of chances to take a high volume of shots. That's good. You hope that over a couple of weeks that will manifest itself in more makes, more minutes, and he'll work his way back into being a key contributor in the offense again. Aside from the game, and, and again, because we don't want to talk about it too much, because that's again. It's kind of broken record stuff, just like Scuzz said. The one other thing I do want to touch on, and obviously, like, we're not going to go directly at this because you're all sports fans. This is all anyone's been talking about for days. This game happened on the day that the news of Kobe Bryant's death came out. And obviously, for so many games, including this game, that absolutely overshadowed the events on the court. The one thing I want to focus on, and obviously, what can any of us say about the whole Kobe situation that hasn't already been said? The one are the one thing that I do want to focus on and bring up is Chris Collins's comments in the post game, and you know some of you may have seen them, some of you may have not, but the short of it is, Collins was unbelievably emotional, and the emotion not unbelievably, I mean understandably emotional, but that emotion was coming from a fact that he and Kobe have a personal relationship that spans literally all of Kobe Bryant's life and all of but four four years of Chris Collins' life. And I think the thing that was kind of illuminating for me, but I think, you know, we get so into the the week-to-week of Northwestern basketball and as that pertains to Chris Collins, right? 
And what is he doing? What mistakes is he making? What things is he doing positively? What is he doing out on the recruiting trail, right? That it's easy to to kind of put that the thing aside of just how steeped in college and pro basketball tradition and lore Chris Collins is. And it's one thing to know, oh yeah, you know, he's Doug Collins' son and of course he was a, you know, a played under Coach K. And, you know, high school legend, played under Coach K, coached under Coach K, etc. But when you're suddenly provided with that emotional context for all of that in one moment, it really is kind of staggering. And the short of it is he, he knows Kobe so well because his father and Kobe Bryant's father played on the same team at the time Kobe was born. And Collins brought up the fact that Kobe is the same age as Chris Collins' sister and that Chris Collins remembers being four years old and seeing Kobe Bryant's mother pregnant with Kobe Bryant. And you really hits home that that is literally Chris Collins has had basketball flowing through his veins since he could walk. Like it's all he knows. Basketball at an incredibly high level, the center of the basketball universe has been where he's lived. And then he transitions to suddenly talking about coaching Kobe on three separate occasions as a member of the coaching of the Team USA coaching staff. Um, and it just, you hit your mind and it's like, yeah, you know, we take issue on a week-to-week basis with is Chris Collins doing this right, is Chris Collins doing this right, etc. But man, he has been at the epicenter of basketball for his entire life. And it's suddenly a moment like that throws it all into relief and it's really kind of staggering and you know you absolutely get why the guy is so so emotional yeah well well said well said and you know like you said not wanting to rehash stuff that has been on everyone's mind the the past few days let's move on um you know it's the end of january and it's not too early to start thinking about spring sports uh, obviously the, the two is it is is there a spring we've been more excited about than this spring? Hard hard to say. Yeah, I mean like with with softball and lacrosse, uh just you know, really just right in front of us. Um, you know, we're, we're hearing more and more uh in initial season polls have just come out. Uh both yeah, I was, I was gonna very, say it's very not favorable. Too- yeah, I was gonna say it's not it's not just us that are fired up about the cats. Like they are on the they are squarely on the national radar and landscape. Yeah, um, lacrosse preseason number three overall. That's the highest the cats have been ranked preseason in how long, Eric? I think it's I, so. I think going into twenty thirteen, which was coming off of the last national championship, they had a they had a really strong recruiting class, and they were. Um, they came into that season with a very high preseason ranking, but um, I don't think they've 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 touched anything close to three since that time. So roughly seven years. Um, and I, like, given the way this team played last year, given the talent that's come in, I think we we've, we've talked about there's been a bit of a recruiting resurgence for for NULAX, and uh, and it's really exciting. Now at the same time, like the competition has never been tougher. Um, in, in women's lacrosse with, you know, the emergence of other power programs like North Carolina, Syracuse is, is number four right now. Maryland sits on top of everything at number one. So that's still, you know, the mountain the cats have to climb, but, um, but damn, it's exciting. One thing about lacrosse too, with just the perspective of us being third 
is when you think of the character of the team last season, and then you compare them to who, Scuzz, who's ranked above us? Um, North Carolina and Maryland. So, North, so UNC and Maryland, um, and the overall quality of those teams, which everyone knows, is so high. And then Northwestern, and you know all the lax people are saying, UNC and Maryland are probably better than Northwestern, but what if Northwestern just outscores everybody? And what I mean is, like, that sounds like an obvious thing, but basically, like, we're the team that will beat you 30-29. to And that is the thing that I'm just already getting fired up about, where everyone's like, those two teams are probably better than Northwestern, but everyone knows Northwestern just scores an ungodly amount of goals and is going to try to win a shootout every single time. And it's quite possible that absolutely no one can stop that offense. And that just gets me fired up because I'm already thinking about this goal bonanza that is going to be going on this spring. It will be very interesting to see what this team looks like without Lasota because she was the heart and soul for the last three years. And I think like what's important is what you're alluding to, John, that last year three or four other scorers emerged and they were – young and dynamic and now that but but they certainly benefited from Lasota still being like the primary focus of defenders and it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out this season but I I think that is still the strength of this team and I think it's still probably where they're gonna they're gonna focus and the reality is is if you have four top-notch scorers like you're, you're in good shape yeah and you know speaking of being in good shape you look at uh softball in, in the preseason rankings Ranked number 14 in the country, um, which is amazing. And I'm just looking at this article right now. Uh, top seven pitchers returning for the 2020 season. And featured in that list of the top seven pitchers coming back is our very own Danielle Williams. So you know, th- these, these ladies are going to be on fire. And Williams is going to be throwing left, right, and everywhere. Like, if, if she can even build on what she did last year. Oh my goodness. I just think back to the beginning of last season where we were all vaguely aware of Williams because she was my, and then just watching all the, like looking at all the box scores of the early games and being like, who is this girl who literally cannot give up a hit? And we were just being like, Oh my God, Northwestern's slaughtering everyone they're playing. And this freshman can't be touched on the mound. And now it's like, there's there's no wondering about that anymore. Remember, almost all of the best players on this team last year were freshmen, and now they're all sophomores, including, as Sam said, one of the top seven pitchers in the country. This group is, it's the top 16 teams in the country are the West, the South, Minnesota, and Northwestern. Um, and it's, it's just awesome. It's, we are... That were the outliers. Minnesota and Northwestern are the teams that are not supposed to be this good at softball, but are just too damn good to ignore. Well, well, and having someone like the a dominant ace pitcher can make all the difference in softball. Um, and that maybe that sounds like a like a trope, like defense wins championships, but it's it's absolutely true. And that you know you can come in ranked because you've got a ton of sluggers and a, and a, and a deep pitching staff. But the reality is, is Danielle Williams pitches two out of every three games. She can make relief appearances. And when she is on, she's unhittable. And that gives you a chance, right? Cause you just need to manufacture one run. The cats won a lot of really tight games last year. And 
um, to see her to be able to, to build on that, you know, that like they talk about it all the time that high school players come into college. They've never played a season that long. The cats went deep into the, into the, uh, postseason. Like she threw more than she's ever thrown before, I would imagine. And, um, that certainly takes a toll as the year goes on. She gets to, to start fresh and, uh, be really exciting to see how her sophomore campaign progresses. And like you said, John, like the rest of the team around her, you know, we should anticipate some other similar growth um, throughout the squad and those other those other stud freshman players. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely be keeping our eyes out for for which of these incoming freshmen whose names we don't know yet. Um, you know, because I I can't say that I I know all of the incoming freshmen uh, for either lacrosse or softball yet. But uh, you know, th- this spring is going to be really really fun, and there's going to be some really amazing lacrosse and softball being played uh, up in Evanston. And for so long, you know, for our entire adult lives, the bread of Northwestern sports, you know, has been buttered with football and that's, we wouldn't want it any other way. That's we're all football junkies. That's why we're doing this. But in a time when football is down right now and basketball is down right now, really men's stop basketball. And, men's basketball men's basketball that men's basketball really stop and you know smell the roses on the fact that from really january of 2020 january 1st whatever like the start of the new year really december of 2019 all the way into the summer there will be something significantly significant happening every single week between women's basketball softball and women's lacrosse there will be national ramifications involving Northwestern where you'll be checking the box scores, seeing, all right, did Northwestern win? Did this team win? Did this opponent win or lose? How is that going to affect the standings? There has been something to do on that front every single week of 2020, and it's going to go all the way to June. Um, and that is rare. And we should all definitely stop and like, and you know, like be thankful for that. Like these are three awesome teams that will keep you interested in sports all the way through a time when you otherwise wouldn't be. And it's pretty awesome. And then of course in June, we'll be starting our 2020 uh, football previews. So we got content all throughout the off se- the football off season for you. So. As, as, as I've often heard it said, top 20 Northwestern women's hoops, top five Northwestern women's lacrosse, top 15 women's softball and Northwestern Wildcats Westlot Pirates summer previews. I, I usually hear it's usually that four mentioned so in some order. Well, you know, lest we uh, completely ignore football. I mean, there, there are a couple little news and notes that we should uh, mention. And, you know, I was very pleasantly surprised to see tweeted out today, um, kind of an upgrade for uh, incoming recruit. Which, you know, Peter Skaronsky was already coming in as the most heralded player, uh, for the 2020 incoming freshman, but, uh, 24-7 just upgraded him to the number one center in the country and a five-star recruit. So, uh, th- this kid's coming in, um, with the ability and like with, uh, with the center spot open, there's no reason why he couldn't, if he, if he is playing center, which we don't know, but he could come in and be a four year starter, uh, anchoring the middle of the offensive line for the Cats. 
I have so many questions with this. I'm fascinated by this um, because 247 seems to be on this center island by themselves, right? Like Rivals does not have him as a center. His high school tape was at several places on the line, but not notably at center. I don't have the intel, but I'm wondering if like, has he been at camps um, playing at center? And if so, he must have been dominating. But for whatever reason, they've decided he's a center. And then my immediate question is, right, so the, the other half of that is, will he play? Because you're absolutely right, Sam. I mean, it's not to say that that uh, the cupboard is completely bare at center. We have guys, Sam Garak being one, who could play the position. But Skaronsky could come in day one and play center, if that's what's going to happen. Um, and that then suddenly things get very interesting. Okay. Yeah, it'll be real interesting to see um, kind of how things develop in the spring. Obviously, we don't get any real news and notes coming out of spring practice, but uh, we'll keep our ears to the floor as, as much as we possibly can. Uh, but it sounds like Scaranti will be uh, getting to campus this summer. Um, yeah, can't wait to see yeah how he fits in with the with the O line because um, you know get him in Kurt Anderson's room and oh man. That, that could be a lot. That's good to be a lot of fun. Um, speaking of a lot of fun and, you know, it, it remains to be seen how much fun this actually is, but I know we're all tentatively excited about the, the start of the XFL, um, starting up the week after the Super Bowl. Uh, we got five cats, uh, playing in the XFL. Um, three of them playing with the Seattle Dragons. Godwin, Iguibike, Kyle Caro, and Jordan Thompson. All made the initial 52 man rosters for the Dragons. Uh, you got Flynn Nagel playing for Dallas. They're the Renegades. And then Hunter Nicewander is going to be punting for the DC Defenders. Um, what's, what's really fun is the first game in the, the new XFL is actually going to be Seattle versus DC uh, on ABC. So we got four of the five uh, XFL Wildcats playing against each other opening day for, for the XFL. Uh, this is it's awesome to to get to see some some uh some former cats uh making their hay in in this league and to have to have three NU players all on defense for the same team is really really exciting. I think we're all um immediately Seattle Dragons fans. Uh I don't I don't know I don't know what channel these games will be on. I don't know if I'll ABC, be able to watch them. ESPN and Fox. Well, what do you know? I get those channels. Uh, that's <laughs> exciting. So um, in that game, that DC Seattle game, the quarterbacks, uh, just worth mentioning, going to be uh, Cardell Jones, I believe, for uh, for DC. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. And then uh, Brandon Silvers, who was a, a QB for Troy, um, undrafted out of college. But uh, for anyone who, who's a degenerate like us and, and is really obsessed with college football, Troy's you know a perennial a perennial um, strong team in, in the Sun Belt, and they've had a number of, of good QBs over the years. So he's the starting QB for for the Dragons. So this will be uh, I don't know this will be interesting and fun. We'll see. You know the last the last manifestation of the XFL. Um, Sammy, you were an official credentialed reporter for the first game, and and uh, have have some fun stories to tell from that perspective. But I think um, I personally struggled with some of the aesthetic of of sure. that manifestation of the XFL because it was basically like wrestling on a football field and uh, I mean, they, they had Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler doing play-by-play in colors so yeah and, and it was it was how can we make the sport of football more dangerous and more you know quote-unquote manly and yada yada and it was th- this is this effort 
does not appear to be that. This appears to be a much more serious approach to starting a spring football league, and um, at, at least more kind of well exciting. thought out. Yeah. I, yeah. Although, although I will say, as long as we're talking about aesthetics, um, yeah, they, point, they missed, they missed, should, they missed yeah, an opportunity. You sh- you should all be Seattle Dragons fans. I mean, there, there's a possibility three Wildcats are going to start for that defense. We'll see. But if you go look and you see how god-awful ugly the Seattle Dragons uniforms are, and that's kind of talking you in the direction of another team, well, I encourage you to go look at all the other jerseys, too. Because they, they're not much there better. Ain't no, there ain't no pretty jerseys in this league. Um, it's so ironic that I actually was looking at some practice photos, and I was like, the all-white away Seattle Dragons jerseys are actually kind of nice. The home ones are god-awful. They're like green with blue sleeves or something. I'm just like, a, a colorblind person made these uniforms. But, um, but you know, although the helmets are kind of cool. But still, yeah, if you're looking for a reason to get your football fix in the dead of winter, you could do a lot worse than turning on a team that maybe has three Wildcats starting it, on one side of the ball. It's it's like a it's like they took the front and back panel from a Broncos jersey and and bolted on Oregon sleeves and an Oregon and like a Miami Hurricanes helmet. Oof. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough. It's 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 rough. But again, just you know, you adjust the dials on your TV, you might be able to make it purple somehow, and then... Black and white. <laughs> yeah. And then just tell yourself that, you know, that Kara, Iguabuike, and Thompson are still wearing Northwestern purple. Um, but again, it's like, those guys are going to play. All three of them are going to play. Um, and probably a lot. So, it's it's going to be fun. Yeah, hopefully this league uh, gets through the first season. Um, unlike last winter's attempted oh, spring boy. football. Uh, I, I know we all had pretty high hopes for the AAF uh, early on, and that kind of vanished quickly. But, you know, it, it's football. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of us are gearing up for for some sort of watching of the Niners and the Chiefs this Sunday. Go Niners. Um, but, uh, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're just looking for a fix after the NFL is done, uh, there are worse things to watch than the XFL probably. Just something to buy the time until we get from here to the draft in Vegas. That's the draft in Vegas is going to be like a Super Bowl week in and of itself. Oh my so. good. Have we, have we talked about like what they're doing for the draft in Vegas? Have we, have we mentioned that on the pod yet? Nope. First, I know, I know we've, all, we've been texting about it, but the fact that like, the stage is going to be in the middle of the lake at the Bellagio. So, like, that's where all the announcements are going to happen. And they're going to be bringing the players out in boats. I I just want to stress, that's what we know so far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I, I mean, remember, like, the draft has gotten to a point. Nashville was absolute insanity last year. And Vegas is going to make that look like a tea party. I like it is going to be a week long bonanza, um, and it, like I, I can't even like it's it's going to be quite the thing. So right, if we're going to get the Super Bowl and then if XFL can just float us into the mid spring, uh, suddenly it's going to be this draft epic um, that should be just absolutely insane. And our uh, our plans for the uh, our live draft pod or. Are- Already percolating, so uh, be on the lookout for that coming up in April. Um, so let's go ahead and leave it there. Obviously, uh, 
come out on Thursday night, uh, 7 o'clock tip-off, Northwestern versus Michigan. We're all going to be there. Come by, say hi. Uh, come by afterwards. for we'll, We're going to go grab a beer, like like you said. Um, we'd, we'd love to see as many of you as possible. Uh, I know many of you who are listening are going to be there. So uh, we can't wait to hang out with everyone. Um, yeah, so hopefully we'll see many, many of you on Thursday night. And we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.